Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ahora Martinelli se lleva la pelota El taconazo para Zinchenko Dentro del área puede haber peligro Levanta la cabeza, balón atrás Martinelli Ha sacado el viejo César Siguió de gol, 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 gol Gol Es el doblete de Martin Odegar. Este gol del Arsenal Lo hizo el noruego Este de los Ganer para Siempre arriba, este gol del Arsenal lo hizo el noruego. Este de los Ganer para quedar siempre arriba. Este gol del Arsenal lo hizo el noruego. Este de los Ganer para quedar siempre arriba. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnar Blog. James, a very goodly evening to you. Goodly evening, Andrew. You know what? <laughs> what? I, <laughs> these um, unconventional recording times um, that we've been doing due to various shuffling mm. factors, I've just realised they open up a wealth of merchandising opportunities. We've had the success of the goodly morning mugs, but what about the goodly evening dinnerware? Wow. Yeah, like a like goodly evening sort of uh, eye mask. Exactly. When you go to bed. Goodly afternoon. I don't know. What does one do in the afternoon? You take high tea, of course. A tea set. A goodly afternoon full tea set. So you can get your cr- uh, crumpet holder or whatever. How about Listen, that? I'm just saying the opportunity is there for us. Um Thank you to everyone who bought a mug, by the way. Oh, my goodness. A lot of people bought mugs. A lot of people. They've been tweeting. They've been Instagramming. So, listen, thank you so much to everybody who's done that. And, of course, every penny that we make from these mugs is going to go to great causes, you know, to hospitals that look after sick kids. Um, I mean, it's fair to say we could probably have been retired if we'd made these mugs ourselves and done all the bits. We, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you. I'm full of regret over our uh, charitable starts. God We'd damn be millionaires. Yeah. No, I don't know. We'll do a sum, hopefully, at some point and figure out. Yeah, it's kind of hard to get a, a, a sum total of it, but, you know, give it a, a couple of weeks when everybody's bought the mugs and, and everything else. And we'll, uh, we'll obviously tell people uh, how much that we have raised and how much is going to be donated to Great Ormond Street Hospital and Our Lady's Hospital hospital for sick uh, children here in Dublin. Amazing. Um, an amazing response. Genuinely, it's fantastic. So thank you very much indeed to everybody. How how are you this evening? I'm good, Andrew. I'm going to be getting a lot of use out of my mug because it's, it's goodly mornings all the way from here until Christmas. Mm, it really is. We are top of the league and we are staying there until December 26th. Actually, beyond December 26th as well, because of That's a true. like gigantic gap that we have over Manchester City. Did you um, did you um, notice the supreme jinx that I laid on Manchester City on on Saturday morning in in the blog? 
Oh, I haven't. A little Easter egg in there. No, tell me. What did you say? So on Saturday's uh, blog, uh, in the preview, I opened with um, the line. I said, given that Manchester City are probably going to demolish Brentford at home today in today's early game, uh, chances are we'll need three points to go into the break on top of the table. Nicely done. Superb, right? Really nicely done. By the way, you asked me how you how I was, and I, I haven't returned the question. How are you, Andrew? Because I know you had uh, a big weekend event. I am absolutely terrible, James. I think I, your larynx is giving you away. You uh, see, I think if we don't address it early on, people will have questions. <laughs> yes, I was like Mikel Arteta after a halftime team talk. I am upset. Um, Yes, I was at a wedding yesterday and it was a very lovely wedding. I had a great time um, with lovely people. It was was beautiful and all the rest of it. But there was a lot of, initially there was quite a lot of champagne, you know, to Mm. do the old toasting. And then there was uh, a tremendous amount of red wine. One of those sort of weddings where every time anyone's glass got vaguely close to one third full it was just that people were coming on and pouring more wine in so dangerous dangerous and then later on there was there was some bourbon happening and i think i got home about 20 past one half past one in the morning came in sat down decided of course you know as you do i think you know probably could have another drink watched (laughs) watch match of the day I watched the Manchester City Brentford game on match of the day and remembered none of it when I woke up. I was still, you will be proud of me in this regard. The second game on match of the day was Leeds versus Spurs. Hmm. And I fast forwarded all the way through that to watch the Arsenal game and watch the Arsenal game. And this morning I woke up and I remembered the Martin Odegaard goal, the first goal. Yeah. And that was it. Okay, <laughs> and I've genuinely never—well, not never—but it's been a long, long time since I have felt as bad uh, on the day after a night out than I did today. So I was sort of planning on watching the whole game again, and yeah. I, I like to think that you know what we do here—it's very much a partnership. Mm-hmm. You know, it was give and take across mm-hmm. the the podcast. You are going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. Okay, that's fine. I'll take that credit in the bank and I'll deploy it yeah. some, at some point down the line. I'll, I'll owe you one. How about that? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, I was at Molyneux yesterday. I, I saw. Uh, I, watched your, I watched your video, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was I was pretty much the last person in the stadium. I don't know if that was clear. <laughs> I actually thought at one point I was trapped in the stadium. Uh, it, it was quite mad. So the first thing that was weird about going to Molyneux was – the mixed zone. So mm. for those who were unaware, after Premier League games, uh, the clubs have an obligation to put on a mixed zone for certain journalists where the, the idea is that the players walk through it and you can ask them to stop and give an interview. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't actually function like that. It's much more controlled mm. and you know, effectively the club decide, look, we're going to put up my Odegaard because he scored twice today and he's kind of trotted out, supervised to speak to you and then retreats to hanging out with his family and his teammates and all that. Mm. But at Molyneux yesterday, the mix zone was effectively in the dressing room. I mean, it, it was in this little area. To get there, you had to go out to the pitch side, go down the tunnel 
And then it was basically right outside the Arsenal dressing room. And all the players were doing their post-match stretches and warm down um, without exaggeration, like three feet from me. Um, wow. So it was kind of crazy, like watching Bukayo Saka go through his post-match warm down routine. What did they the do? Muscle work. What do they, I mean, what do they do? Because like when I think about, you know, a team that has won a game, you remember that famous gif of Olivier Giroud in the dressing mm. room after where he was basically helicoptering his chopper around in the dressing room. I <laughs> they mean- do a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> They're all doing that for starters. No, they do like, um, yeah, <laughs> they, they, they hold, they, I mean, I'm not a physio, but they do a lot of work with weights and stretching essentially. Weights. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, so like, you know, they'll hold a weight in each hand and lean forward, like sort of, they look like sort of balance exercises almost. I don't know. I don't understand it. But it turns out there's more than just the 90 minutes that we see. Sure. And it was kind of incredible, you know, to be in that environment, uh, see the coaching staff going around. Uh, Diego Costa was back there um, chatting to all the Brazilians. Um, He had a big chat with Arteta in Spanish. Um yeah, and, and just sort of, you know, Aaron Ramsdale was there complaining about the bang on his face. He'd had off Armand Traore. <laughs> that, was a, how, that was a heavy one, all right. Yeah, saying how his chin was hurting him. And it was, it was just sort of like a, a, a very unusual experience and like great insight and access to be able to be there. Wow. Um, I mean, none should... of the players wanted to be interviewed. Let me be clear about that. <laughs> yeah. That was the last thing they wanted. They all had dodgy stomachs. Uh, yeah, Alex Zinchenko came past. I hope that it, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn in saying this, but he's very good with the media. And we, and, mm. um, we were like, Alex, you know, do you fancy doing a couple of minutes? And he just held his stomach and went any other day, but not today. <laughs> So clearly, I mean, it could be an excuse, but um, I think we can add him to the list of players who weren't feeling their best. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a thing. Um, Granit Xhaka was taken off very early. And it very, was... Very, very early. He, was mean, da- he, he went down in the first minute, actually. But, the first but, but time. how did he go down? I mean, how did he Holding just sit his down? stomach. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and- white shorts... You know, I know. I was thinking if we'd worn the black kit, it would have been okay. But yeah, he went down, and it, it, the, the, the reason you knew it was illness was because they got Gary O'Driscoll, the club doctor, onto him really early. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, he he tried to play on, but he was not moving as you would typically expect Granite Shaka to move. Um, he looked Ooh. very heavy legged and out of it. He lasted a few more minutes and Arteta was sort of again, as he was when Saka went down the other day, he was kind of agitating for a decision from the medical staff. Mm. He, you know, I think he has this thing of like, we need it. We need it. If he's going to be out there, he needs to be right. You know, we need 11 players on the sure. pitch. And eventually I think Granite seemed to effectively make the decision for them. He sat down and was like, I'm oh. done here. And, you know, Arteta said this after the game, but anyone who knows anything about Granit Xhaka, he has to be feeling mm. pretty bad for that to be the case. And and the 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 news is it was like the pre-match meal, perhaps. Was that perhaps? Was that I don't think there's certainty, but um, yes, that that uh, you know, a, f- a couple of people have 
have pointed fingers at, at, at a pre-match meal. There, well, there was some suggestion as well. Perhaps there'd been a bug going round. I mm. guess it's difficult to know at this late stage. But, yeah, I'm led to believe quite a few players weren't feeling on top of the world. And, and I, I do wonder if certain things that in isolation might look a bit odd. Like, for example, Cedric came on quite late in the game mm. for Kieran Tierney, but... We don't know, but perhaps not for Kieran Tierney, for Zinchenko and Tierney didn't come on. Yeah. But perhaps Tierney was feeling really rough. You know, we there was a point in the first half actually. Now I speak about it, where Tierney got off the bench and went down the tunnel for a period of time. Right. So yeah, that could tell you something. All right. Yeah, I think perhaps he wasn't in a fit state to come on. Um, I know we had questions from some people saying, you know, you're worried about Tierney. I'm only worried about his underpants at a particular point in time. <laughs> um, so, but that was sort of um, quite an important moment in the game, really, because, you know, Shaka has become incredibly important to this team. And I was really intrigued by the decision Arteta made to bring Fabio Vieira on because he had Mohamed Elneny out warming up. Mm. Um, he didn't even have Sambi Lukonga warm up. What, what, he wasn't on the bench, as far as I can see. I'm looking at the, uh, the teams. Oh, was he not? No. There you go. Well, that would explain why he wasn't warming up. Yeah. That would go a long way to explain I was going to say, really lazy otherwise. Um, no, he wasn't on the bench. That's strange. I don't know if he had an issue. But, um, yeah, so he sent out Elneny and Vieira, and he picked Vieira, which was certainly the more... Ambitious change, but I just thought an away game, he might have, you know, put mm. Elneny in and moved Partey a bit further forward. Um, but and it did slightly disrupt Arsenal a little bit, I thought, in that first half. And the thing is, that Shaka role, it's so specific, that role, the demands of it and the kind of tactical nuance of it. And, you know, when Sambi has come into the team, he hasn't quite managed to replicate it exactly. And... I sort of could see in that first half that Vieira was really getting to grips with it. You know, I think his better performances have come in the sort of Martin Odegaard uh, position, which mm. is a, a little bit different. And Arteta was sort of pointing, doing a lot of pointing to Vieira in that first half. Um, and Arsenal found it quite hard going. I mean, Wolves set up with five at the back and didn't play a recognised striker, really. They they played Traore and uh, Gonzalo Guedes, who were both dribblers. So they were really looking to hit the channels and do things on the break. Um, and, and it was sort of an intriguing tactical puzzle for Arsenal to unpick. And I think that it may be something they encounter more and more. You know, as Arsenal's yeah. stock rises... I mean, Wolves are bottom of the league, so you can understand them taking that approach. But I do wonder if in the second half of the season, Arsenal might have to get used to this sort of problem. Of I was, teams really sitting off. Yeah, mind. I was going to ask you about that because you, you mentioned it in your video and it makes a lot of sense that, you know, when, when a team is good and we've seen it in the past, you know, when you even if you have a bit of a reputation teams that will come and sit deep and get 11 men behind the ball and just try and you know park the bus or whatever way you want to call it you know that kind of approach will become more prevalent the the better you get 
you know, or the more difficult you are perceived to be to play against. Like if you, if, if teams know that if you open up against Arsenal, then they're going to hurt you, mm. uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a sort of consequence to that in, in the way that they prepare. And yeah, I'm, I'm sort of curious as to how that's going to go because it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes people say, well, they can't break down a packed defense. And I don't know that there's always quite enough discussion of how difficult that actually is. That, you know, you don't have to be the best team in the world, but if you're well organized and if you're well drilled and you stay compact and you, um, you know, you keep your shape to a large extent, it becomes very difficult to break a team down, regardless of how good you are, whether you're Arsenal, whether you're Man City, whether you're Liverpool, whether you're Barcelona or whatever, you know, mm. that is a challenge that you're going to have to deal with. And, and maybe that's, you know, something that Mikel Arteta has reckoned with or thought about or, or, you know, might make plans for in the future, because maybe there comes a time where you need maybe to add a bit of variety to your squad in order to, to kind of help uh, your, your side deal with that. I think so. I think it creates different problems uh, that require sometimes different solutions. And I don't think it's something we've had to do a ton of, but we are becoming such a ball dominant territory dominant team that mm. I, I think we're going to see, more and more of this and you know sometimes it can scrape your result obviously on the day Arsenal's quality told in the end um, but yeah there was a very interesting interview Odegaard and Ramsdale gave an interview to Sky after the game that's worth watching I did I watched that this morning actually yeah yeah where they talked about the changes that they made in the second half I mean it's quite simplistic in some ways they moved the ball much quicker um, mm. and I think that's what you need to do. But they talked about that problem of when you have so much of the ball, uh, it can almost become a training exercise. You know, it's, uh, what's the quote from Ramsdale? He said, it becomes that training regime where you just keep the ball, keep the ball, and there wasn't anything at the end of it. Mm. We just had to be a bit braver and a bit quicker on the ball. And you can see how you almost get lulled into that. But it's part of the game as well. You know, Man City for them that sort of keep ball keep ball keep ball that's almost part of how they grind people down you know they sort of Mm. lull the opposition into submission at times like a snake sort of hypnotizing them um and then the squeeze comes and uh I, i do think we might encounter teams setting up against us a bit like they do against city because you know we are well, look at the league table. Yeah. We're, we're that good. <laughs> we are good. So tell me about the William Saliba uh, incident. Yeah. That got replayed. I'll be honest with bit. you. I don't fully understand it, Andrew. And I've I've put it out there to the people on Twitter because I'm still trying to get my head around it. Essentially, they played themselves in down the right and the offside flag went up. Mm-hmm. The, the ball was crossed into the middle. Saliba was chasing back. He does bring the guy down in the box. Yeah, it's a foul. It's a foul for sure. <laughs> and Gabriel then makes a fantastic block, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Very good. Not his only one of the night. I thought he was really, really good. And this was one of the days where I thought he was the better of the centre-halves and um, deserves the plaudits. But obviously, the referee then saw the flag and pulled it back. Hmm. Now, <laughs> Sky dedicated pretty much the entirety of their halftime analysis to <laughs> this penalty incident. Right. Um, they were very disappointed that Wolves had not been awarded a spot kick. 
But yeah, I, I, as far as I'm aware, VAR looked at it and they effectively didn't overturn it because the, they went with the re, the on-field officials decision to award the offside. Right. Um now I think it was wrong the offside. But I think if the flag goes up it needs to be I don't know, a clear and obvious error, something like that. Yeah. I mean I think he was offside from the first pass, wasn't he? But it was was it the second pass? I don't know yeah. about phases of play because we had this before, didn't we? We had what what game was it where was it the Southampton game? Where they I mean, equalized and there was a very clear offside in the yes. initial passage of play. But by the time the goal had gone in, it was like so far back in time that they decided they got, I don't, I mean, I don't understand it either, but my, my friend Tom on Twitter, who's at talk Nuffle, explains it by saying the linesman put his flag up probably incorrectly. And then the Saliba challenge was in the next phase when the ball was played into the box. Mm. So if it was offside, it didn't directly influence a goal scoring opportunity. The reasoning is technically sound since Saliba could have reasonably seen the linesman's flag, which could have affected his challenge. The ball was effectively already dead. Right. If the linesman hadn't put his flag up uh, and it was offside, they also couldn't have gone back to take the penalty away had it been given. So, hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, it was a strange one because in a lot of those situations, I think the linesmen are encouraged to, to keep, their keep flag the flag down. down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but old habits die hard. And actually, I think that in terms of the officiating, we have, you know, we chat about officiating on here sometimes and occasionally I'll say things like, well, you know, you get games where it goes for you. And I'm often challenged to name those games. And because I'm <laughs> foolish and have the memory of a goldfish, I can't remember any. So let me take this opportunity to say this was one such game. Right. Um because obviously there was the penalty incident, but there were a couple of other things. In the first half, Martin Odegaard made the most cynical of fouls on the halfway line. And it must have been his choir boy looks that saw him escape a booking. There was a point as well where Ben White, in frustration, booted the ball at the <laughs> linesman. I saw that. And actually there's a... Um... There's great. I've downloaded the game. I just haven't watched it all, but I've watched bits and pieces of it. And I have watched that bit where yeah. he's convinced Arsenal should have a corner. And then did he actually kick the ball at the linesman? Because it looks like on TV, on the TV footage, that he sort of throws it that way. But Oh, I th I'm pretty sure he kicked it at him, yeah, with some pace. Um, like just enough pace that you could claim, I'm just giving him the ball, but he doesn't need the ball. He's not taking the free kick. <laughs> anyway, it was the clearest booking for descent you could ever see, and it wasn't given. Um, and there were one or two others where I couldn't believe it. And then Wolves, they made their first very cynical foul, and the yellow card came out straight away, uh. which, as you can imagine, the home fans were absolutely delighted about. Um <laughs> They were furious at the officiating. And maybe it is that thing where, I don't know, when you're good, when you're the big team, maybe there is a bit of things starting to go for you. But this was a game where, you know, the calls went in our favour. I, I felt anyway. Right. Okay. Well, um, look, we've had plenty of games where it hasn't happened. Oh, listen, that way, listen. So. I'm just saying that you do get the odd one or two. And generally, I think we... 
we just go, well, justice prevailed. And we <laughs> file it away, you know, never think of it again. But I think it is worth remembering when it does happen from time to time. Sure. But but we, we, we might well have been ahead in the first half. So Jesus um, scored a very nice goal that was offside. It was an identical run really to the one he made for the headed chance against Chelsea, you know, yeah. the Martinelli curled ball into the box, which actually Alexis Sanchez used to be a real specialist in from that sort of area. Yeah, and Martinelli true, yeah. seems to be developing that trait. And yeah, he was about a yard off, but it was a lovely take and uh, finish. And then he had another one where... Hit the bar. Right? Hit the bar, yeah. And again, it's like... Couldn't have hit it more cleanly. The goalkeeper was completely out of the game. Um, and, you know, I, it's a matter of inches. I mean, sure. you could say, well, you should score. But I find it hard to be too critical in that situation. He he struck it very well. Um, and he had another half chance, maybe half chance is exaggerating it, but there was a cross to the back post where he sort of, he probably should have headed it back across, but I think he mm. tried to bring it down and, and sort of nothing really came from it. So he was dangerous um, and looked like, you know, the obvious threat. But we didn't get the goal. There was another scare right at the end of the first half. Um, so was this the Saliba? Saliba pass mm. back, yeah. Um, it's not the first time he's done that this season. It looked very familiar to me because I think he's done – was it the – what was the game where, where Aaron Ramsdale saved one with his testicles? Leeds. It was Leeds. against Leeds. And it was yeah. very similar to that one against Leeds. And look, it was not to be critical of Saliba. Maybe he, like uh, Granit Xhaka, was, you know, um, not feeling the best or whatever it was. But, you know, the, there have been a couple of games this season where those, I guess it's just, you know, part and parcel of being 21. You know, he's brilliant and amazing, but he is still 21. And sometimes the 21-year-old comes out above the hugely impressive footballer. Yeah, I think the stats guys record those moments as errors. And I think Saliba has three this season, which is uh, puts him right up there in terms of the Premier League. This one was interesting, actually, because from my vantage point, quite high up, Saliba was out on the right touchline and uh, close to Mikel Arteta. And I could see Arteta pointing for Saliba to go back to the goalie and... Saliba listened dutifully to his manager, um, but it was very much not good advice because Wolves had a guy <laughs> waiting to nick the ball off him. Yeah. I mean, and, it wasn't uh, a great pass, but, you know, maybe the, the it pass... It wasn't a great pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Mikel's always like, keep the ball, you know, recycle the possession. But mm. that that's one where Saliba would have been served by being a bit more conservative. I mean, like he, It's he a great just, block, isn't it, from Gabriel? What a block. It's an what amazing block. piece of defending because, you know, like you pointed out in the first one where where Saliba, you know, made the foul that wasn't the foul because of the offside, et cetera, et cetera. Gabriel was there to make the block and this is another really fantastic block as well. Yeah. Um, and that's a big moment as well because yeah. right before half halftime, uh, would have been against the run of play. Arsenal had about 70% possession at this point in the game. Um even if, as I say, things weren't quite clicking, you know, Vieira had come in for Shaka and we just weren't really creating a great deal. Um, but the second half was much better and Arsenal, they were out pretty early and they attacked it with a lot more urgency. Vieira was a lot higher up the pitch. In the first half, he spent a lot of time almost in kind of left-back areas, like quite close to Zinchenko and... 
in the second half, I think he got forward a lot more, made a lot more runs in behind, which is quite an important part of that role. And lo and behold, that's what the goal really came from. And mm. um, I think I described this elsewhere. As a, it was a very Man City goal. You know, Arsenal presented with a very Man City problem and they found a very Man City solution. It was a classic Guardiola, get to the byline, cut back. Uh, really well worked. Yeah, it's a lovely pass, isn't it, from Gabriel Jesus to Fabio Vieira. Good run, but, you know, really, really good pass. Really good pass. And even before that, actually, Martinelli, he goes on a, a bit of a mazy dribble where he sort of ends up going through the middle of the pitch, beats, you know, three or four men. Mm. And it just it just changes the shape, you know, and just sets Wolves off kilter. And then Jesus in that left-sided area where I think in the last few weeks he's been pulling more and more. Really good pass. Great run from Vieira, and he puts it on a plate. I mean, if if, if uh, Odegaard hadn't scored it, Saka was right behind him. So. Mm, yeah, nice goal, really nice goal. That yeah, that was it. On in the Ramsdale Odegaard interview, um, Ramsdale <laughs> was like, "Oh, I thought Saka got there first. Um, yeah. and Odegaard is going, "No, no, my goal." Um, I mean, I suppose we should talk about him a little bit as well because you know, goal scoring. Look, he scored some good goals this season, I think. Um, but there have been moments where perhaps in front of goal or when he's got opportunities, he hasn't quite been as convincing as some people might like. Nevertheless, he's got two goals in this game. I think, you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that makes him our highest scorer, our in leading league, scorer does, in the yeah, Premier League, that's right. you know? So it, it's a very nice return from from a player whose you know, goal scoring isn't necessarily what people would uh, consider his greatest attribute. No, I mean, you know, he's missed one game. He missed the Brentford game. So he's played 13 and got six goals. So he's basically at one in two, which Almost, is yeah, yeah. very good, really, for, you know, someone who's predominantly a creative midfield player. Eight goal contributions, can't speak. Eight goal contributions in total when you sure. factor in his two assists. And I think, to be honest... He, he probably deserves a couple more assists. He's, you know, he's played some nice passes that haven't finished up in the back of the net. Um, I actually thought he was really good on the night overall. He did a lot of really intelligent work off the ball. I include his very cynical foul in the first half in that. I think he's <laughs> got a knack for it, to be honest. I think he knows. He, he, he seems to have the intelligence to recognise when a move needs to be snuffed out. Sure. And he doesn't mind doing it. Um, in the second half when Arsenal got themselves in front he did a lot of work dropping deeper and just keeping the ball circulating you know if Arsenal were going to get to those 3,000 passes he was going to play 2,000 of them I think mm. um, I just thought this was a, a really good performance and a captain's contribution obviously as the match winner with uh, with two goals the the timing of the first goal I think is is quite interesting as well because like you say there was a a, a need to do things a bit better move the ball more quickly as they said mm -hmm. and it's in the fifty fourth minute you know sort of less than ten minutes into the into the second half after all the possession I mean there's something to that as well isn't there that that you know when you need to step up when you need to deliver um, you know the timing of that I think is quite interesting because. Games like this can, can, not that they get away from you as such, but the longer it goes without a goal, the more it preys on your mind that you're not going to score. Yeah, I think so. It was a perfect time to score. Um, and it, I think it gave the team, you know, some confidence as well. And, and actually, 
as is often the case, you know, they, they look very controlled once they got themselves into that position. So um, had they been made to wait, would they have, you know, started to become impatient perhaps? But as it was, mm. uh, you know, they got the goals at really nice times, 55 minutes and then 75 minutes for the second one, which really just set the seal on things. And from that point on, it was pretty comfortable. And um, um assist for Fabio Vieira as well. You know, who's... um I won't say he's been subject to a lot of criticism, but, uh, you know, some of the Europa League games and in the, the, the Carabao Cup game in midweek, um, you know, maybe didn't quite do as much as people might have liked. Yeah, but- I mean, I guess you wouldn't have seen this, but on my timeline prior to the goal, I saw quite a lot of criticism of Vieira. And I think about two minutes before he set up the goal, he just passed one out of play, you know, into mm. touch. And... It wasn't quite happening for him. As I say, I do think, you know, it's great that he can play in five positions or whatever it might be. But I do think each role within this Arsenal eleven is incredibly specific. And there's no way he can know each of them as well as the first choice guys sure. who plays there. And I just think we saw a bit of that, particularly in the first half with him. But he did He did come into it more and more. And I do think that assist is a good moment for him. I think he will have been really delighted to feel that he contributed. And I thought it was, you know, I saw some people say it was a heavy touch, but I actually think he probably knows what he's doing there when he takes that away from the defender and he clips it across the goal mm. really lovely. So Even if it yeah. was a heavy touch, he has the, the sort of the speed of foot and mind to... The wherewithal, yeah. exactly. You know. Um, um. So, yeah, that was a good moment for him. And... I'm just trying to think after that if there were any sort of threatening Wolves attacks. I mean, they had a free kick um, out out wide, which sort of went straight at the keeper, fortunately. There was the Traore-Ramsdale collision um, Mm. after Gabriel got something on it, but not quite enough. I thought that was brave. A couple of instances of brave goalkeeping on the night, which helped protect the clean sheet. He went mad, didn't he? I saw like the bits and pieces of the game that I went through. Um, he went crazy at, at Zinchenko yeah. for being don't, a bit casual. Don't fucking take the piss. I yeah, think I think was. that's, yeah. I was lip reading that myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the. But tells you what he, you know, what he, what he thinks about a clean sheet and how important a clean sheet is to him. Um, and obviously, you know, a game like this where you're 2-0 uh, up and everything's good and you're cruising, so to speak, that one goal then just completely changes the complexion. And I think we've been in that position too many times in the past where perhaps, you know, that one goal has made everything just a little bit too hairy. There's, you know, it's just more relaxed when you don't let any goals in. And I know that's very simple to say, but, you know, I like that, you know, rather that sometimes a player can make a mistake, Right and holds his hand up and everyone goes, it's okay, come on, keep your head up. I like that in a situation like that, Ramsdale feels like he can, you know, have a good go at Zinchenko for what he considered, you know, casual play or, or you know, he taking the piss, if you like. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's interesting because he didn't do it to Saliba, for example, in the first half. Um, but the Zinchenko one was quite unnecessary you know this wasn't a, a misunderstanding or a, a mm. miscued pass he it was just a little bit of over elaboration and I, I wouldn't be too critical of that because I think one of the things Arsenal did better in the second half was and actually the late period of the first half 
they did take more chances at the back. So they started waiting until Wolves' as forwards were right on them before they would release it to mm. try and create space and unlock the game. But I think at 2-0 up, maybe that's not the time to be trying the pirouette on your own halfway line with yeah. nothing behind you. I mean, I don't think he was doing like... I think he was just caught on the ball a little bit. He was just, you know, trying to move mm. it back. I don't think he was trying an elaborate trick, you know, something that you should never, ever do. No, um, no, no. But still, you know, keep focused. And if you've got a big guy like Aaron Ramsdale shouting at you, you know, maybe it just sort of uh, refocuses your mind. I think that's fine. I think that's goalkeepers, isn't it? I mean, a lot of yeah. the great goalkeepers have been that way. And, you know, if you think back to what Schmeichel was like with his defences, Um but and Zinchenko, I think, you know, it's in his nature that he has huge confidence on the ball and he does take chances. And I think yeah. the good generally outweighs the bad. Um, and as I say, I think he may not have been feeling a hundred percent. So any criticism should be tempered by that. The the the, uh, the second goal that um, Arsenal scored, I think, again. You know, Martinelli didn't finish the game with a goal or assist, but he did really good work in the build-up to both goals. You know, won the ball back off uh, the young wing-back who'd come on for Wolves in the left-hand corner. Yeah, it, was a, it was a poor poor yeah. mistake from the from the defender. But, you know, it's, it's that, you know, being a, a ruthless, efficient team is, you know, being able to capitalise on moments like that, that when you win the ball back high up the pitch, when the team, the opposition lose it unexpectedly, can you hurt them? You know, that's yeah. where a lot of goals come from. And, you know, we did that and did it very well. And, and actually, you know, when you are playing a low block, when you are playing defences who sit in, you do have to capitalise on those moments, you know, with your off-the-ball work. And if you can press them off the ball when they've got it and disrupt the shape, then suddenly you might find yourself with space you wouldn't have if you were building up from the back. I think the Jesus chance to hit the bar came from one of the rare instances in the game where the, the ball kind of, you know, broke down when Wolves had it and gave it away. Mm. Suddenly we had space and, you know, Martinelli chases it down, um, gets into the box, doesn't he, for the... Zinchenko, I think, actually does very well in the build-up to this because he gets the back heel from Martinelli yeah. and he's sort of, you know, he's, I don't know, he's outside the penalty box. And a lot of players, I think, would think, right, I'll swing it in. But he sees space and thinks, if I drive in towards the goal... I'm going to create five more interesting angles for myself. Yeah. Um, he does that, finds Martinelli, decent save, but ball comes back to Odegaard. And I think he made that finish look very easy, but he, he takes it very, very well. Yeah, it's a lovely touch to control it. And then there's a real decisiveness with the finish as well, isn't there? That like yeah. that criticism of Martin Odegaard's finishing has been because sometimes he maybe wants to pass it into the net a little bit or there isn't enough power or conviction in the shot. And in this instance, there was precision, there was power and uh, yeah, a very good finish. Um, and, you know, at that point, you know, being there and watching the game and, and being able to see how this game was was playing out, I was, you know, sitting at a, a, a dinner table and I clicked on and it's like, yes, 2-0. Um, <laughs> you know, did you feel like that was that? at that point, you know, not just on the basis of this game, but on the basis perhaps of what Arsenal have shown this season and how they have controlled matters when they get into a position, you know, whether 2-0 up away from home. Yeah, I think the second goal absolutely killed it. Then it was just a question of if they would, you know, get the clean sheet that I think some of the defensive performances deserved. Um, 
But Wolves didn't offer a great deal. I mean, they are bottom of the league and, you know, they're waiting for a new manager. They they didn't, this wasn't a performance of great ambition from mm. them. Uh, we made a number of changes, you know, in stoppage time. Nelson and Elneny and Cedric came on just to, well, just to run down the clock. I actually think the referee blew up about a minute early by my calculation. I think he did. The, he? Yeah, I think so. I might have that wrong, but I started my little stopwatch, uh, you know, when when the board went up, and I seem to remember thinking, oh, blown up there. But that tells you. Four minutes of injury time, and he blew up at 94 minutes and one second. So, oh, did he? I so missed your stopwatches. Stop well, there you go. But it was, it was uh, pretty comfortable in the end. And, um, you know, the thing is, it should be, right? Arsenal are top of the league, Wolves are bottom. Arsenal should go and win that game. I completely understand and recognise that. Mm. But it's far easier said than done. And, you know, you look at what happened at the Etihad this weekend. You look at what happens week in, week out in this league. Winning Premier League games is really hard work. And to do it consistently is enormously challenging. Mm. So for Arsenal to have won 12-14 is... It's an outstanding period of performance, I think. I mean, I can't really add anything to that because it absolutely is. And it's sort of beyond expectations. And maybe we'll deal with that in part two with a, with a question or two. But, you know, I spoke on the preview podcast that we do on Patreon. I spoke to Lewis and sort of made the assumption that Man City would win, right? Because they're at home against Brentford. You know, like you say, it is hard work. But it's one of those where you look at it and think, well, Manchester City with their quality, Brentford with their inconsistency, chances mm. are the Manchester City are going to win this game because this is the kind of game that they have won repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly as they have won the Premier, uh, Premier League title uh, for so many years, right? And it's like, can Arsenal deal with the little bit of pressure that comes with that, right? So City go above us in the table last weekend and we go away to Chelsea and we beat them. Mm -hmm. Could we do it again when Manchester City beat Brentford, which they didn't do, which is fine. But then can you can you capitalize on the, the slip up from Manchester City as well? I don't know if that creates a similar amount of pressure or not. You know, do you feel like, okay, well, now there's less pressure, this is actually uh, an, an opportunity for us to go and and really make the most yeah. of what could be a great weekend. And, you know, this is a team that is capable of dealing with the various scenarios that the Premier League is throwing up every week. Yeah, definitely. And like I say, I think this tactically this game presented a different challenge and they had to be patient and they had to be intelligent and they had to not panic and, mm. you know, not be too guilty of chasing it. And they showed real maturity to manage that. Um, you know, a gauntlet was thrown down to them effectively. You know, when City lost, it was this huge... I mean, it was a fantastic relief for us all as Arsenal mm. fans to think, well, whatever happens, we'll be top. But at the same time, what an opportunity, you know, to create a bit of a gap at the sure. top of the league. And, yeah, they went on and took it. And the away fans were in fantastic voice the way it's set up at Wolves they have effectively a whole 
lower <laughs> tier or one of the sides of the ground. So, with with the was the angry man there? Do we know? We don't know actually. I've not seen any footage on social media of angry man. Um, I, I hope he was there because, like I say. Some of these refereeing decisions will really have revved up the angry wolves. Man. He's just sort of passed out on the floor with fury, you know. He's- he might have exploded, actually. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, and it was, it was, yeah, it was a, a very impressive. I'm not saying it was a blistering performance. It wasn't our best performance of the season, but the way they managed the situation and, and the occasion was mm. in itself impressive. And I got the sense that Mick Arteta was very content with what his players had done. Um, they'd played like a big team does against a smaller team. Um, I mean, all the uh, there was so much talk, wasn't there, before this weekend's games, not just in relation to us, but like, you know, are the players who are being picked for the World Cup, are they going to give 100%? Are they going to like go for the tackles? Are they going to run themselves into the ground for their team, knowing that an injury might put them out of the World Cup, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Mm. And you know, unfortunately, here on Irish Radio on a on a Friday, there's um, we have to deal with Mark Lawrenson and Tony Cascarino um, on one of the shows, and they were like, "Oh, they, nah, these guys, they're they're just not going to do it. They're not going to turn up." They're just, you know, they go through the motions. They're not going to do anything that will put their World Cup at risk. Did you see any of that from any of the Arsenal players? No, none at all. Yeah. And, you know, like I say, I mean, Aaron Ramsdale was putting his body on the line and, and he wasn't the only one. Gabriel Jesus was chasing lost causes and Gabriel Martinelli was, you know, some of the runs he was producing late on in the game, I was thinking, watch your hamstrings here, mate. I was thinking that <laughs> as a fan for him because he's got a boy a dream to think about next week. But they are so focused. They are laser focused on what they are doing. And I think that's the greatest threat the World Cup poses is the disruption to that focus um, because they haven't let it be a factor at all. And actually, you know, there's a lot of talk about the players who are selected and what it might do for their performances when you look at what Ivan Tony did this weekend, having not been selected, I do. Mm. I look at Gabriel as well, who wasn't picked, and who knows what sort of motivation that may have served at. But I thought he was brilliant at the back. Um, yeah. So yeah, an interesting weekend, really. A strange weekend with with that hanging over players, knowing that a knock essentially could take them out of the World Cup. Yeah, even um, like a a slight calf strain or hamstring strain you're done you know yeah and I'm sure there were uh, you know perhaps there were players in mid table where results maybe have slightly less weight who might have allowed that to creep into their minds but mm. I didn't see that from a single Arsenal player at, at Molyneux alright well look um, a very good weekend for us you know in terms of the title race, and it is a title race I think we can say that now and um, you know there's obviously is a that, long is that the go. first time you've said that Maybe, because we've been asked about it, haven't we, over the last few weeks? Like, when do you start to think? When do you start to believe? Where? When do you start to, yeah. you know, you know the you way we talk- that in so casually, Andrew. I know, it was yeah, like, yeah. So, like in a relationship, something like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I love you. So what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll try that one with you, um, you know, at halftime break. Yeah, but, I'm waiting for yeah, that, that one that, still. That's fine. But, um, <laughs> but you yeah. know, it is, it is, you, you can't be, because the whole thing was like, you know, the team that's top of the table at Christmas 
always goes on to win the league or the only team that's never won the league being top of Christmas was fucking Melchester Rovers and whenever, you know, this kind of thing, which kind of glosses over the fact that, you know, there's probably another six weeks of football being played in the season. So it's not quite the same, is it, as no. being top of the top of the table at Christmas time in a normal season, top of the table Christmas time. This time around means, you know, that you're top in mid-November and you're staying there because there's no football for another six weeks. But you can't be top of the table and five points clear of Manchester City having played 14 games. I know it's 14 games. And not consider the possibility that there's something big potentially um, to play for this season. No, you, you, you. I think you have to acknowledge it at this point. I, I listened to Elliot on Arsenal Vision and I thought he described it very well as Arsenal giving themselves a brilliant base camp from which to attack the title in the second half of the season. Mm. Uh, and I think that's right. We've put ourselves through merit into this wonderful position and as a club, we have to look at that and think, right, how do we capitalise? Sure. Um, and, and, and to be honest, it's pretty sweet for Arsenal fans because if we don't win it, which remains probably the likelihood, like, it, it's going to be City, isn't it? And it's going to, it's like... It sort of, you know, it, it may. I don't. It depends how it happens, but like there'll always be that thing of like, well, yeah, of course, it was City. You know, mm. got their infinitely wealthy, and they've got Harland and all this stuff. Um, I sort of feel like, although we are in a race, it's still relatively low pressure. You know, yeah, we're the underdogs in in, the, underdogs. in that in that particular race. Like, you know, not compared. We're not underdogs compared to Wolves, for example. But, you know, in that particular, t um, you know, that competition, if you like, at the very top of the table, I think yeah. we would still be considered the, the the chasers, if you like, even though we're at top of the table. I know that sounds a bit weird, but I think that's true. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and you know, because we're so far in excess of expectations. But I was chatting to a guy who the security at Wolves after the game and, you know, he was lamenting the refereeing decisions. And and he said, I mean, he said, I'm not sure if Arsenal win the league. I he said, I don't think they will. But he said, I hope they do. He said, I'd love it, you know, mm. if a, a team other than City could win it this year. Um, Plucky little Arsenal. So, yeah, maybe we Sticking are it to the people's choice. Yeah, so, you know. I, I am enjoying, though. <laughs> I, I don't think that's universal. I am enjoying... Uh, how much it seems to be, you know, I can, like fans of like Spurs and Chelsea and United, of course, of course. they're really not enjoying this thing of Arsenal being top. Um, no, especially the ones that would like predict Leicester to, you know, finish in the top four ahead of Arsenal and those guys, <laughs> you know, those kind of, you know, that you sort of like, that have made very definitive judgments about, you know, Arsenal or Arteta or certain players or where we, where we're going, you know, a couple of eighth place finishes, not great by Arsenal standards. And all of a sudden, you know, that becomes in some people's minds, the norm or what Arsenal are now without reckoning with the idea of, I don't know, it's a funny word, but improvement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, listen, the, the, as I say, it's a relatively low pressure race. And the other thing about the whole top of Christmas thing, you know, how much it means. 
I'll tell you what it does mean. It means we get six, seven weeks of being able to say we are top of the Premier League. We just don't have anyone to say it to, you know, or chant it at. That's the only we don't have to chant it at, but <laughs> we, it's basking season. It's basking time. Let them know it's basking time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let them know it's basking time. Exactly. It is the season. All right. All right. Well, look, we will take a little break here and we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Um, I'll go first. Is that okay? Yeah, before you do. Oh, yeah. um, You know we're talking about the goodly morning mugs. Yeah. I had a message from Ryan Smith uh, on Instagram who said... um, He's done the research in which year and month was Goodly Morning introduced to the Arsecast Extra. And the answer was December 2015. Wow. And he said, how did it come about? Blog said, good morning. And James asked whether that was Andrew's catchphrase. (laughs) Blog's replied that it couldn't be a catchphrase, as everyone says that. But something like Goodly Morning to you could be. James declared that from now on, that would be his catchphrase. And finally, how did James accurately predict the future of Goodly Morning? James said he could see see that catchphrase on T-shirts and mugs someday. Wow. So there you go. It's I do know what I'm talking about. Sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> One time in December 2015. Hey, and, and Ryan found the, the proof and documented it, and here it is now. In I need to form. hire this Ryan to, like, find times I was right about stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, good, it's a, it's a full-time job, I would say. <laughs> I mean, there's I a lot know. of research. <laughs> You've got to find a needle in a haystack. Oh, imagine having to listen back to a load of podcasts talking about like... I sometimes sort of toy with the idea, you know. Could we go back and listen to, you know, a a podcast after a signing or after a managerial appointment and then react to whatever nonsense we said at the time? But I feel like it might destroy our reputations. And minds. 
My tiny yeah. little mind would be blown with like how, I don't know, it's just, it's, that's the great thing about football in many ways, because like the season is long, but the moments are kind of ephemeral, right? A yeah. match only lasts as, it's only relevant until the next match in a way. I know there are some obviously that sort of linger on and there are games which mean more, et cetera, et cetera, but you've always got the next match. Um, that's true. And, and, and podcasts is quite helpful because you know, they're not even tomorrow's chip paper. I mean, you know, they're gone as soon as the next games happen. So that's it. We probably get away with all sorts. <laughs> well, look, it's a, it's a goodly evening and the goodly morning mug is out there. The t-shirt, not quite yet, but who knows? Give it time. Andrew. Give it time. Give it time. Goodly evening pajamas. That's what we missed out on at the start of <laughs> uh, the start of it. Okay, I'm going to go first. Here is a question from Ratan Postwala, who said he's at Ratan Postwala on Twitter. He said, "With approximately a third of the season gone, Arsenal have five players with three or more league goals and another four with two uh, two goals each. A very pleasing stat. How many of our players do you reckon will hit double digits by the end of the league season?" Ooh, that's a fun game. Mm. Uh, um, I think that Jesus will. He will eventually score again. <laughs> one day. One day. This is another one of those predictions that's going to come that's going to come right for you, James. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> I think he's I think he's I think he's at 11 appearances without a goal. I mean, he was excellent again yeah, in yeah. every other aspect of his game. I just have to believe that he will uh, start finding the net again. Um, but I think he'll get to double figures, certainly. Uh, who else is up there? I'm just having a look now. Martinelli, I think, will get there. Yeah. Assuming that he can stay fit. Yeah. I think Bakayo Saka. He should get there, yeah. He should. He's got four, I think. And then I think... I think Odegaard will. I think Odegaard will. Uh, it's less of a sure thing, just because I think he's less of a natural goal scorer than some of those other players. But um, he's made such a good start that I think he's got a great chance. Yeah, um, that's what Saka's I would go got for. Penalties yeah. as well to, to factor in. Odegaard said, "I attack the box more now." That's yeah. What he said after this game. Well, that's something Arsenal generally do much, much better. I mean. You know, when they got into those positions for those cutbacks from the left-hand side, the the box was absolutely full of people. I mean, I think yeah. when Odegaard puts that second goal in, Arsenal have six players with it between uh, the goal and the penalty spot, you know, in that yeah, yeah, yeah. area of the pitch, which is a lot. Um, and you do that. You're going to score goals. They were. They did show that on match of the day when I was sitting there trying not to die this morning and watching right. match of the day. Ian Wright was was talking about how you know when Jesus played the pass to Vieira. You know people are like, well, Jesus he should be in the box to score the goal. He's your centre forward, but they were doing the pause with the arrows and the graphics and all that. And there were like another four or five players in the box from an Arsenal perspective. So, you know. Yeah, that's the point about Jesus. I mean, listen, he wants to score goals. I hope he scores goals. But as long as Arsenal are scoring goals, we don't have a great deal to worry about. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the four. I don't think... I know it sounds crazy. I'm not sure Granite will quite get to double figures. 
Well, no, not if he sort of comes off after, you know, exactly, six minutes. You know, it's, it's only the sickness that will prevent that from happening. Um, <laughs> I, I think those guys, and obviously our January signing as well. What about um, Emile Smith-Rowe coming back and sort of banging them in for six months how about yeah that? i don't know if yeah i mean it just depends if he gets the minutes to to get to that level i did have the thought last night of you know because i was looking at the squad and thinking wow good if we can add one or two but mm. it does feel like a tremendous boost assuming that emil smith rowe can use this sort of intermission in the season to get himself right you know what sure. a player that would be to add to what we've got because we've barely had him this season like a new signing. Like a new signing. I mean, he's made four substitute appearances, played a combined total of 48 minutes. Um, mm. You yep. know, he, he was a real goal threat for us last season and can be again. So, you know, and he can play a, a number of different positions in this team. I think he'll be a, a tremendous addition Uh when when we can have you know what it's actually um without wanting to sort of downplay anything or anyone but i think it's another testament to what this team has done and where it is and you know where we are in the league and the lead we have that we've done it without a guy who was our second leading scorer last season yeah i know we've added jesus we've added zinchenko we've added Vieira, etc etc but you know I think when we discovered that Emile Smith-Rowe was going to be missing until after the World Cup, there was real fear that, you know, maybe we didn't have the the depth to deal with the kind of fixture list that we were facing and the ability to score the goals and win the games. And look, I'm really looking forward to having him back. I hope he, you know, gets fit and really stays fit because I think he's a hell of a player. But... You could say, apart from maybe in one or two of the the Europa League games where maybe we didn't have the ability to rotate as much as we might like, from a results perspective, the fact that we haven't missed Emil Smith-Rowe is really something. Yeah, we've handled it in- incredibly well. And it's credit, I think, to Saka and Martinelli particularly, who have worked tirelessly through this period. Sure. Um, but yeah, he's going to be he's going to be a really important player to get back. Um I don't know if he'll get to ten, but if he can, if he can contribute half that, you know, if he can be a goal scorer for us in the second half of the season, mm. those extra goals will be very, very valuable indeed. For sure, for sure. Um, right, let's have a question. So this question is a biggie. It's from one point seven six acres on the Discord. Okay, and they they ask, um, forget whether the World Cup in November or December is stupid, brackets, it is. But is this break happening at a good or a bad time for Arsenal? Bad, obviously, because momentum is important. And I think when you're winning and you're confident, you just want the next game to come around. You know, you don't feel the heavy legs. You don't feel the the hectic nature of the schedule when you're winning game after game after game. So mm. I think, uh, you know, on that basis alone, it's bad. Um, I know there's sort of an argument that at some point you're probably going to have a, a game or two that it doesn't go your way or 
or whatever. But yeah, it's hard not to think that it's bad because we're going well. Other teams are not going quite as well as they would have uh, hoped. And we're top of the league and I'd like to be playing this weekend. Yeah. And the weekend and after that. And So yeah. would Mikel Arteta, I think. Yeah. You know, he's got something really good going there. Arsenal don't massively show signs of slowing. I think they had that sort of slight wobble period, but I think they've recovered from that pretty impressively. Um, they've beaten Chelsea since then, mm. you know, smash Forest. I think it is bad for Arsenal. I think it's quite sort of nice for us as fans in a way, because we, we get this basking season as discussed. Sure. Um, but I think it is bad for Arsenal. The only sort of caveat to that is that I think it may be worse for some other teams. Yeah, I think it's bad for everyone, really. You know, there's no yeah. good there's no good thing about your season stopping right in the middle uh, and, and all your, well, not all, but many of your players going to play in a World Cup or indeed your entire squad sitting down for six weeks when you're trying to maintain a level of match fitness and sharpness and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it's good for anyone. So no. it's particularly bad for us because it's all going well. You know, if we if results weren't great, you would, you know, maybe we'd sit here and say, you know what, maybe this is a good thing. You know, we get to sort of regroup and reassess and all that kind of stuff, which we've had to do in the past. Yeah. Um, but that's not the situation that we're in. So I, I do think it's bad, but I also think it's bad for pretty much everyone. So, yeah, and if we're talking about our immediate rivals at this point, the league being Man City, I mean, their team, the vast majority of their starters will be playing every available minute mm. in the World Cup. That's not really true for that many Arsenal players. Um, I think we might have talked about that last week, gone through the squad and said, you know, how likely people were to feature. So it's bad. It's bad, but it could be worse elsewhere. Sure. Um, um, I'm sure if Arteta had it his way, he'd have the players back in tomorrow morning <laughs> and be prepping for a game on Wednesday because they're just on a roll. So um, what, what is the story actually now? I mean, when do the players go to their training camps or to meet up with their respective nations? Pretty uh, swiftly because <laughs> the tournament starts a week today. A week? Right. Is it really? Yeah, Jesus there are no warm-up friendlies or anything. It's straight in. And um, so the players who aren't going to the World Cup, I think go on holiday pretty much straight away. They're giving them some time off. and Yeah, I think they've got a couple of weeks um, before they, you know, uh, return to training and they're going to do the warm mm. weather thing in Dubai, play a couple of games out there. Yeah, Sunday the 20th of November is the, the first game. Yeah. So it is literally a week until the tournament. So I think they'll be joining up. I mean, I think some have already gone. I think I saw on Matt Turner's Instagram, he was on his way to join up with the US squad. So, yeah, it's uh, it's go, go, go. Sure. Um, kind of crazy, isn't it? But uh, it is. There we have it. I mean, I had a question actually about the World Cup, which I don't know if we've talked about on here but Gabby 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 which is the new uh, pseudonym for Magnus Holmberg on Twitter says <laughs> um, will you watch the World Cup Qatar 2022 or will you boycott it and refuse to watch any of the games uh, 
I am going to watch. I'm going to yeah, watch. Yeah, I'm going to watch as much as I can. Um, um, but, you know, I... I Again, I talked about this a little bit with Lewis on the on the preview podcast that like if you don't want to watch this tournament, I absolutely and completely understand and respect that completely. Mm. Um my sort of outlook on this and it might sound maybe a little bit selfish or whatever is that like <laughs> I've got a blog to do every single day in the middle of a football right. season. And a podcast to do a couple or three times a week. And the reality is that I think the vast majority of people are going to to watch this. And I think it's possible to have concerns or um, find some things problematic with this tournament. Um, and I think everybody knows what they are but still want to watch a World Cup because, you know, from the time I was a kid, the World Cup was just something special, you know, from I think 1978 is the first football game in my life, I remember. Right. Um, the, the final. The final, yeah. Argentina against Holland. And I was distraught, absolutely distraught that Argentina won that game. My apologies to any <laughs> Argentina um fans or, or natives, you know, but I was up for Holland in that game. And I remember like it was sort of imprinted in my mind, the ticker tape and all that. And then you have Spain, 82, Mexico, 86, Italian, 90, USA, 94, you know, all these tournaments that sort of exist in your life as a football fan. Um, so I'm, I'm going to watch it from a football perspective, but I also think it's important that if I am going to watch it, and I think if we're going to talk about it and if we're going to write about it, then you can raise some of those concerns or talk about some of the issues that are at play and maybe use the platform to discuss those things in, in hopefully, you know, what could be a positive way. So that's what I'm going to do. That's my outlook on this tournament. Um, and I, I know there are people out there who will be not willing to watch and everything else. And like I said, I, I fully respect it, but I'm going to watch. And um, I don't know, like you worry, you know, that it makes you sound like a hypocrite or something. But, you know, it's not like we are David Beckham. You know, we haven't been paid no. millions to sort of gloss over the issues that are uh, troubling to, you know, a lot of people. So, yeah, it's like Gary Neville on Have I Got News For You, you know? Did you see um, Joe Lysett's thing that he's done today? No, I haven't seen it today, no. He, this is a good British comedian, Joe Lysett. He's he, very good, yeah, I like Yeah, his. he's a very funny guy, and he um, has done a video on his Instagram talking about how David Beckham was a childhood hero of his and a, a gay icon, mm. um, you know, one of the first footballers to kind of pose on gay magazines and things like that and his disappointment that uh you know beckham has effectively taken this uh, qatari money to be an ambassador for the world cup and in the video he says here is ten thousand pounds of my own uh, hard-earned money if you effectively revoke your role with the qatar world cup i will uh donate this ten thousand pounds to uh a variety of LGBTQ plus supporting 
charities sure. and foundations. And he says, and if you don't, I will shred this money live <laughs> on air. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on a website, which I believe is www.benderslikebeckham.com. Uh, he will live stream himself shredding £10,000 that would have gone to charity. Like the KLF. Yes. Burned a million um, pounds. So... There you go. Hopefully, I mean, I don't think he will, but it would be nice to think I that, don't that think £10,000 could be saved. Uh, alas, I suspect not. Um, yeah, I, I will be watching. Um, I'm not going, and uh, I think I would have felt quite conflicted about going. I think I would have found that tricky. Yeah, you went, and you were... You have gone and watched England. Cup. Yeah, you were you I've in been Brazil? To Africa and Brazil. You were in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, I was at I was at a lot of the Euros games mm. uh, last uh, time round. But this one, I do feel different about it. I will be engaging with it and writing about it. I mean, partly it's a, a job, but sure. also I'm a football fan, and I think uh, how can I put it? I don't think football fans should be punished by not being able to watch the World Cup because it was awarded to Qatar. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think we should extract what we can from it, but I do think that it's important and inevitable and right that mm. it will live side by side with certain other sort of ethical conversations. Mm. Um, have you watched any of the FIFA documentary yet on on Netflix? I watched the first one. Uh, like again, yeah. I I've heard it's quite I, good. I spoke I've... to yeah, I spoke to Lewis uh, like on the preview part about this a, a little bit. I've watched the first one, and I'm really curious to see where it goes because it's like straight in with the fucking corruption, like straight in. <laughs> There's no yeah. sort of pussyfooting around this. It's like this is FIFA. It was set up in 1902. Blah blah blah, and then and it's like what the you fuck? Like all of it is just like holy shit. Um, so I'm curious to see where it goes because people like Set Blatter are in it. You know, Seth I know Blatter that's the extraordinary like- thing. I mean, the fact that all these people are willing to come forward and speak about it. And Blatter himself said the other day, didn't he? It was a mistake to award the World Cup to Qatar. I was it's like, oh, I wonder to say at that point, you know, when you've presided over, you know. But yeah. he's like, FIFA is not corrupt. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, so I'm sort of, um, I guess that over the course of the three or four episodes that are in it, it's sort of one of those where you give someone enough rope and they hang themselves, you know, that kind of way. Um, yeah. But it is extraordinary. Even the first episode I saw was was extraordinary and how, you know, the pursuit of money or commercialization or, you know, expanding it out, whether it's capitalism, whatever you want to call it, has absolutely corrupted the ideals of an organization that was set up just to make sure, you know, let's see if we can play football against each other, you know. Yeah, yeah. And incredible that the so many of the actual individuals implicated are involved. But I yeah. guess never underestimate the sort of power of yeah. Flattery and ego. Uh, <laughs> That's true. That's people true. will put themselves on all kinds of platforms where they're made to look fools, like me doing but, uh, this podcast. We, but we do it willingly. That's why that's, <laughs> a, that's the difference. Okay, let me ask you this one because I very much enjoyed your um, back and forth. I won't say back and forth, but your sort of interchange with Mikel Arteta at the press conference um, when yes. he was talking about Bukayo Saka and then the sort of silence, that bit where you go, I wish you'd tell me. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I don't know if that's great. great journalism, actually. But 
I don't know either. I but wish like, you'd you, tell I me. I wish you. Mm. Come on. Uh, Come on, Mick. I'll, I'll be Throw your friend. Bag. I'll be your friend. Um, but- I've been doing his PR for three years. <laughs> the least he could do is answer a question. Exactly. Rather than sort of these evasive answers that make us think about things. Um, PJ on the Discord said, in recent weeks... It seems that when Saka collects the ball, he holds it for a few seconds, allowing his defender to get in position and or the second defender to join. So he is double teamed. Do you think this is instruction or something Saka just happens to be doing? It feels like he never just collects it wide and immediately runs right at a defender anymore. And I just thought that was quite interesting because when you were talking, uh, if people haven't heard it or haven't read the transcript or seen the video, even though I, I linked to it on the blog... You know, you were talking about Saka being fouled. Mm. Should he get protection from referees? And he said, well, there are things that we could do better. And I can't remember what, what um, you know, what the two options were. Uh, one Tactical was, or physical. Tactical or I physical, mean. yeah. And he said, yeah, tactical. And then you're like, well, what's that? And he was like, not willing to tell you what that was. He, he did later divulge a bit more. He, he said it was to do with the types of balls we give him and when we give them to him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had a little WhatsApp about this at the time, and I was like, does he mean sort of not giving him the ball to feet when he's coming towards it with a defender who's ready to go like, Poof, and just smash him from behind? Does he mean maybe more balls in behind? But I think this ties into what we were talking about a little bit earlier on, that, you know, the better you get, the less space teams are going to give you. They're not going to push on to you to allow someone like Bakayo Saka to run in behind, even though, you know, you could see in the game against Wolves yesterday, there were some moments where long passing uh, from deep, you know, Ben White in particular, there was some clips doing the rounds today on, on, on Twitter about some of his long passing. But, you know, what did you make of what Arteta was saying or what was your sense of of what he meant by that? Well, the first thing I'd say is I think that something quite interesting is happening around this conversation about Saka and tackling mm. where Arteta is... In- well, he's, he's reticent to talk about a lot of things, but he, he's very reticent to create any sort of idea of Saka as a victim, I think. And I I think he wants to avoid a narrative that becomes problematic. Um, and so I think he, the reason that he sort of gave that bit of information is because I sort of said to him, well, you know, you can't control the referees. You can't control what the opponents do. But mm. Are there things you control? And I think that's what interests him. You know, I think he wants to focus on how do we fix this problem? I don't know what he meant and I'm not a coach and it's difficult to decipher. I'm, I'm actually going to speak to some coaches about this um, <laughs> and sort of see if we can uh, unpick it a little bit. But I did have an exchange with yourself and I spoke to Art de Roche and he, you know, he, he was quite interesting about it. He said to me, I think a lot of it's to do with Ben White's positioning. You know, when Saka gets the ball, if White is close to him or overlapping, it means he can't be doubled up on in the same way. And the left back has to stand off him because they have to be aware of White's run. So that could be a factor in it. I spoke to Clive Palmer from Arsenal Vision and he was saying, you know, he thinks it could be about Saka receiving the ball on the move. So, you know, the ball is played into his path and he mm. accelerates onto it and that takes him away from a defender rather than, you know, he receives it on the back foot or just like flat-footed and then 
sort of as the question alludes to, has to kind of generate movement from there. Um, you know, there's lots of possibilities. I think the, the trouble with Saka as well is like, what is Saka's superpower as a player? Like, what is it? Like, I'm, I'm thinking about England a bit now and the World Cup. And what is it that he offers that team? And what is it they offers Arsenal at times? And, and to be honest, a huge part of his game is that capacity to receive the ball tightly marked and turn away from people. You know, mm. that... And he is brilliant, like taking it with his back to go and spinning and driving into space. And the thing is, you don't want to take that away from him because it's such an important part of what he does. And unfortunately, with that comes the risk of physical contact. So I think it's going to be an ongoing challenge. And I did watch it against Wolves and sort of see if I could notice anything particularly different about the kind of supply Arsenal were giving Saka. And to be honest, I didn't. I'll, I'll have another look at it, but I didn't mm. see anything particularly distinct. But it's uh, it's a, an interesting sort of window into Arteta's thinking. But unfortunately, it wasn't a picture he was prepared to sort of fully flesh out. Mm. Yeah, it, it is interesting because, I, you know, I think we have talked about this a little bit in the past where both of us maybe would have liked or would like Mikel Arteta to be a bit stronger yeah. about the refereeing side of things because you know i get like you don't want to paint him as a victim i get that um there's the potential if you put something out there for the referees given what we know about the organization that deals with referees for them to say oh yeah well, <laughs> well we'll show you and you know you don't get the it doesn't sort of change the minds of referees in the way that you might like you know no you might just aggravate them i know that's, well, that's ridiculous it. but i know yeah i i agree it's ridiculous and but i get i kind of get why it, that might be in Mikel arteta's mind but the stats and the way that saka is refereed it's so blindingly obvious to everyone that he is refereed differently than than other players um mm. And I do think that is still an issue and not one that is necessarily within our ability to to deal with by just giving him better passes or passes in a better part of the pitch, you know? No, and that's sort of what I, tr I sort of was trying to say. I, th I think that was something Arteta was prepared to talk about, but that's not the whole solution. I just think that for whatever reason, he's decided that he is not going to... Mm speak out on this in the way that we might like. Um, and I wonder if psychologically, maybe it's a little bit about how the referees react, but it's also a bit about how the player reacts. I wonder if you know he doesn't want Saka to, I don't know, I, I, you know, develop some sort of persecution complex or feel fearful. I, I, I don't know what it yeah, might yeah, be, yeah. but I, you know, he's always thinking about performance ultimately. And, I think in the same way that he says, you know, my players aren't going to think about the World Cup. There's no room for that. I think he doesn't want room for, an excuse would be the wrong word, but almost a distraction. Um, sure. But yeah, it's it's going to be an ongoing uh, issue, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Jim Young, real Jim Young says, does anyone else find themselves repeatedly checking the Premier League table on their phone just for the dopamine rush that comes with <laughs> seeing Arsenal on top? Uh, guilty. I absolutely have done. I, I, I've that. never done it on my phone. <laughs> like I, I've never in my life checked really? the Premier League table on my phone. 
Well, you need to get on that. It's fun. No, no, I'll just do it here on, on the. Okay, you know, okay. I'm a desktop send guy. It, I'm an old guy, James. Yeah, you know. Um, I'm just having a look here. This might be quite swift to deal with. Brad Dennett says, Afternoon, gents. The World Cup often leads to exorbitant fees for players who shine. If Saliba is one such player, and with a new contract still a little up in the air, would you consider selling him? No. No, nor I. That's it. I can't, I can't deal with that question. No, I can't. I can't, think about I can't it. Not at this time, Brad, when we're so happy. <laughs> Come on, Brad. Um, let me ask you a question. It comes from Sir Joel, 98. He said, my question is, why have we not made a song for Gabriel Jesus based on the Depeche Mode song, Personal Jesus? I don't know. It needs to happen. Our Come own on. Personal Jesus. Ashburton Army, make it happen. You guys, they, they get all these songs going, don't they? They've sort of reinvented the Arsenal songbook. I mean, yeah. maybe there's other people involved. I'm sorry if I'm not giving due credit to. They've played their part. They've played you know. their part. As have the you know Red Action and a lot of the fan groups. But yeah, um, that 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 could happen certainly. I, I I do think the thing is I don't want to take anything away from Kieran Tierney who earned his place in this song with some good service to Arsenal. But uh, it would be funny to sing. Uh, we've got Super Mikel Arteta. He knows exactly what we need. Gabby at the back. Gabby's in attack. Gabby's in attack. But yeah, it feels sad, doesn't it, to take it away from KT? I don't think we can do that. <laughs> Let me ask you this one. Hayland FC, who's at Hayland FC 1. And I think we talked about this briefly, or, or talk, you referenced it anyway in the first part. He said, one for you and um, Stillmanator, Tim Stillman. He said, uh, I feel we play very similar football to Man City. Watching them is boring, almost robotic. Is it more exciting because it's Arsenal and we're winning? How do you feel about our playing style in general? Yeah, it's interesting. I think we are more fun to watch uh, than Man City a lot of the time. This I quite like this phrase. Um, it's from an account called EBL uh, 2017. EBL describes himself as an experienced performance analyst uh but he what who's performance what performance football we don't know we don't know we don't know any performance um, you young lady at the till and asda your performance is just not good <laughs> i i i don't wish to challenge ebl's credentials and especially seeing as i liked this phrase they said Mikel arteta's arsenal combine like city and counter press like peak liverpool and i do think i mean listen city know how to press as well but there is something about the physical intensity of this Arsenal team that shares parallels with, uh, you know, Klopp's excellent Liverpool sides, as well as Man City. I mean, basically, we play good football, really mm. good winning football. And that's what both those teams have done. I also think maybe an understated, under-discussed element of this Arsenal team is the physical attributes that exist in the core of that team. If you look at the two centre-halves, Ben White, Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, the work rate of the front three. Um, I've left Alex Zinchenko out there, which seems a bit harsh. No, but, no, no, no. He was taking And this. Martin Odegaard. <laughs> I've left out the two nice little blonde boys. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... You know, you remember people talking about the Invincibles and say, oh, you see yeah. them in the tunnel. 
I think these boys, when you see them in the tunnel, there's some big, strong lads in this 11. And um, maybe even more so than is the case with, say, a, a Man City. And maybe, again, that's something that's a bit more in parallel with, with Liverpool. Maybe so. Yeah, I mean, it is a, a more physically imposing team than some of the ones we've had in the in the not too distant past. So yeah, yeah. Um, I, so yeah, I, I do think the city comparisons can get quite um, repetitive because you know they're sort of inevitable given Arteta's uh, background. But I do think they are they're they're there with some justification, and a lot of the tactical things that we've seen implemented at Arsenal have their parallels or perhaps even predecessors at City. Sure. Um, I mean, but but the the key point is, right, that it's not Man City. It's it's Arsenal. Yeah. The main reason it's more fun is it's Arsenal. Yeah, exactly. And, like, we could bore the world into submission if we won every week. I wouldn't give a single fuck. But you know what? You know what's kind of boring about Man City is, like, the inevitability of their games. It's not necessarily that Man City themselves are boring. You know, there's a relentlessness to the way that they play, but it's more about the the inevitability of the outcome, you know, where yeah. 95% of the time they are going to win, you know? And I think that's what's kind of boring. Whereas from, you know, all this winning is kind of a bit of a novelty for us at the, at the moment, you know, we've gone through some difficult periods. So all the winning is a bit uh, new in its way. Um, but I do think there is some, there is some style, there is some panache, and I know we've had this discu- uh, discussion more than once. But what we're seeing maybe is like, do you remember the questions we would ask or we talk about like, what kind of football does Mikel Arteta want Arsenal to play? Mm. I think it's this. I think <laughs> this is it, and I think it, yeah. you know I don't mean that this is like the pinnacle of it. I think he wants to make it better than this. But this is, you know, certainly in my own mind, when I thought about Arteta as a coach and and what he might want from a team, this is much more what I thought he would like than some of the stuff that um, you know happened in the in the, in the past. Yeah, that's I think a, a good point, and also um, I think the reason that Arsenal are more engaging. Uh, and more compelling than City. It's our old friend narrative, really. But ultimately, the, the story of Man City, you know, richest club in the world or one of the richest clubs in the world, mm. hire the best ma- manager in the world, sign some of the best players in the world. It's not particularly compelling or exciting. Whereas a first-time manager leading the youngest squad in the league... Uh, yeah. Some of whom are academy <laughs> players, some of whom have played, you know, down the leagues in England, you know, met one of whom was ha- nearly hounded out the club by his own fans. You know, that's a much more interesting story. Yeah, um, than like rich man buys all the things he needs to be successful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that's why, you know, that security guy at Wolves would like Arsenal to win the league. And I, I suspect he's probably not the only one. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, 
I've got one. I've got another one, if that's okay. You were there, so yeah. you can you can answer this one. It comes from Charlie, who's at Charlie O'Regan1. He said, can you ask James to sum up, shum, uh, sum up some of the shithousery that Ramsdale was getting up to? I'm guessing the cameras didn't catch all of it, but I heard he was doing some piss boiling, and there was a great clip. It was actually on Match of the Day where I think he made a save or they missed a chance, and he turned around and was just laughing at the crowd behind him and, and that kind of stuff. So Yes, there was a lot of that. Um <laughs> I mean, he, he got a lot of stick at Wolves last year. I think, I don't know if it's because his uh, childhood West Brom allegiance is is known to the Wolves fans. Um, they're big rivals, obviously. Mm. But yeah, it's a, a frosty relationship. And there was a lot of that kind of stuff. I mean, in the second half, there was a lot of things like ball boys throwing him the ball and him like deliberately not catching <laughs> it or letting it roll under his foot. So uh, classic he had to go and get it. Classic Jens. Yeah, pure Jens Lehmann. Um He was putting his tongue out to them. Like every time he caught the ball, <laughs> he'd sort of turn to the fans behind the goal and stick his tongue out. Um, I heard that apparently one of the Wolves fans offered him outside for a fight. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were wondering if the angry man was there. Now we know he was. Yeah, I think we can assume we can that say he, for was. Sure he was. I just there. hope that there was one of those... <laughs> You know, Wolves uh, fans with a, a camera strapped to them so that we can see more evidence of this. Because I think Wolves as well, I think it was Wolves at home last season when he did the knee slide celebration in front of them. Was um, it, yeah, yeah. Which, again, won't have endeared him. Uh, and then, yeah, full time, he was giving it the old boing-boing for the baggies, which really upset them. And he walked the length of the stand of Arsenal fans, making them all do boing-boing. Um, <laughs> just like stupid things but he had a very good clean game I mean it is bizarre like it was the same at Leeds there is that facet I know he's talked about it where it does seem to bring the best out of him um, you know that's yeah. part of his psychological makeup I love it I love it uh, yeah so it was very very funny and they were absolutely furious <laughs> And every delay. I mean, again, he didn't get booked, I don't think. And I, I don't know how. Like some of the sort of just, <laughs> just time wasting, over was it? goal kicks. Right. Like there was one where he sort of set it in one place and then moved it. And yeah, it was <laughs> pure layman. Jens would be very, very proud. He's watching down from on high. Yeah, he absolutely is. I mean, he's got a, like a penthouse apartment. That's what I Right, I see. He's on stilts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I, ha- I think I-, I had other questions, but I feel like most of them we've ended up sort of discussing here or there. Have you got any more? Um, okay, how about this one then? Just to finish us off, because okay. it is um, you know Sunday evening and everything else. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, and I've only got so much life left in me, and it's a very small amount. Like you know, when you look at your phone, you see like six percent battery. You're like, oh. I'm about like 3% battery at this point. Um, Willie J said, saw reports that Jack's illness was due to a pre-game meal. In both your opinions, what is the worst pre-game meal a player could eat? Oh, Like man. what's the worst thing that you could eat before you went to play a game of football? Because I think everyone's different with food. Yeah, I mean, I have eaten some quite bad things before playing football. I used to play... Well, when I when I had more free time, I, I hope to return to it. But I used to play football on a Tuesday lunchtime 
pretty regularly mm. and i would often have like a fry up before playing well i call like the pros do you know of course um which you know you do feel the consequences of that but it doesn't count because you're exercising the same day so it's all free calories mm. right um <laughs> i think the worst thing would be some sort of curry type thing wouldn't it i don't know I, I think anything that runs the risk. I mean, it depends how sensitive your stomach is. Like, I'm good with spice. I like spicy food. Yeah, I food. like spicy I'm, food. I'm not, and I'm not like someone who, who um, you know, will eat a curry and then it's like, oh, my God, I've, you know, uh, I've got to, like, stay close to a bathroom or anything like that. Mm, but what no, I, I'm not, but I, I, I think I'd know about it if I... If I did, <laughs> I will. I'll tell you the two things that I just would not eat before I, okay. I was playing a game of football. One, McDonald's, right? Because f- for whatever reason, for my entire life, whenever I eat McDonald's, it fills me with air. Okay, like I like you could literally burp me like a baby, right? And I would just be like doing big burps. <laughs> Maybe that would be good. No one wants to mark a burping man, you know? Or or a farting man, I guess. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking that about Granite. I was like, this could work in his favour. Clearly, you know, he wasn't prepared to see whether it was just a fart, though. Yeah, sure. It was a risk. There was a risk. I wanted us to take more risks on the pitch, but that was not one. <laughs> I've been through enough. I am not going to shit myself on live TV. That's what Granite sure. was thinking. Okay, yeah. The other yeah. one is like any kind of frozen southern fried chicken type stuff. Yeah, something just sort of doesn't. Greasy. I don't know whether it's the coating or the, in inverted commas, chicken, but mm. whatever it is, <laughs> it just. It just does not work for me. Although normally it takes a little bit longer than, you know, uh, a pregame match sort of next day. Yeah. It's sort of- I guess if Arsenal will feed the first team McDonald's and KFC hours before a vital Premier League match, they will pay the consequences. I, I'm sort of, I'm pretty sure they're not going to do that. If they're doing weights in the dressing room afterwards, yeah, you know. It yeah. strikes me that there's probably a fair amount of, you know, um, thought gone into this. I, I often wondered why you ever see football teams arrive for a game. Sometimes, you know, they come off the bus and stuff like that. And you see someone pushing a trolley in. Do mm. you ever see that? Yeah. I Like, what the fuck? What's so heavy that it needs a trolley? And now, obviously, they've got weights and stuff. Every player yeah. has to have their own weights. And that I makes think, sense. Yeah. I, I, it's come back to that. I'm sure it's just like to engage your sure. core and your muscles while you're stretching. But, yeah, I don't know what, what they ate pregame. Um, An 18-piece bargain bucket. Safe to say they <laughs> won't be eating it for a while. Yeah. Uh, Whatever that was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, look, we will leave it there. Again, thank you so much to everybody who's bought a mug. Um, you can find the link to the mug in the show notes if you would like to get your own very goodly morning mug and help support great uh, hospitals who look after sick children. Um, I don't know what – I mean, actually, one more question. Can I do that? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Chief Wang Kerr. Who, who, Juan, he's Spanish. It's fine. I see. He's he's the Spanish son of former Irish manager Brian Kerr. Uh, Chief Juan Kerr. He said, uh, what the fuck do we do for six weeks? Yeah, good question. Mm. Bask. 
Basque. Basque, guys. That's it. That's Basque everything. like a shark. I mean, it's quite boring, you know, basking. Is, I mean, I mean, we're going to watch the World Cup as well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. We'll have some football to talk about. And, and, and yeah. you know, give it a week. Transfer rumours will happen. Yeah. January that, edges ever closer. Exactly. Um, other than that, just chill, guys. We Listen, it's a break for us too. A breather. Time to take stock. Um, I mean, it's not a literal break. We're going to carry on doing the podcast. Yeah, we will. We'll, we'll have it all here for you um, <laughs> at irregular hours because I think the next um, month or so you're a bit up and down with stuff and things. I'm no, filming. I'm, I'm filming. So I'm going to have to be – I don't know what I'm going to do about the World Cup. I guess, you know – I'll have my. I'll be in period dress with a <laughs> iPad, you know, snatching bits of games here and there, streaming it on your phones. What time exactly. are the games actually? Um, are they sort of like? I feel what like is, they... What is the time difference between Qatar and where we are? Is it like it's two hours? Is it or three hours? Yeah, I feel like the games are there. There are games in the UK at like ten a.m. 1 p.m., 4 p.m., and 7 p.m. They're spread pretty well for like, wow. you know, if, you, if you want to really make a day of it. In that first week, there are, on most days, four games. Um, so there's going to be a lot of football around. Nobody's going to get any work done at all, are they? Absolutely none. <laughs> Unless, of course, they're uh, talking and writing about the World Cup um, because yeah, they'll have to. Um yeah, all the people like, I'm just going to work from home today, boss, honestly. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be I mean, a lot of that. Super Work hard. from home culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be pretty big. <laughs> Elon Musk won't like that. All right, let's leave it there. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks for being here. And look, we'll, uh, we'll keep things going during this six-week break, during which Arsenal will remain completely and utterly top of the table. Um, so until then, take it easy, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. 